Our text for this morning is Jude verses 5 through 16. Jude verses 5 through 16. And this is the word of Almighty God. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, The Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Let's pray together. Lord, as we bow, um, there are two things that we have sung that I desperately want us to continue to pray. One is, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, you know I don't like preaching passages that just call us out, it's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard to say the things that you fear will just hurt the hearts of people. I don't think any of us enjoy that. But that doesn't mean that saying things that are hard aren't good and right things. So Father, we pray not my will but yours be done. We pray that you will open your word to us that we might see truth, even truth that's painful, and receive it not as the words of men, but as they really are, the words of Almighty God. And as we sang, speak, O Lord. Renew our minds. Fulfill in us your purposes for your glory. God, have mercy this day. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wanted to write a letter to a local church and rejoice in the grace that they shared in salvation. But something arose that caused him to feel the need to strongly and urgently call the people to contend for the faith. Dangerous deceivers, false teachers, and immoral men had slipped in among the believers at the local church, and they were threatening to lead people astray. Jude wanted desperately to protect the church. The people, he said, are beloved of God. So Jude wrote them to warn them and to encourage them. Now we're picking up, this is part two of three in our study of this tiny book. We're right in the middle of the warning. I didn't plan this out to say, oh, today's going to be the warning day. We're going to get you. This is the Lord. Here's the question. There's dangers. Should the believers ignore the problem? Of course not. God is going to act. God is going to judge the ones who are doing harm to the church and perverting the gospel. And Jude is going to let the people know so that they can be warned, so that they can help those in danger of being led astray, and so that they can understand that God will judge dangerous deceivers. The drama unfolding in the first century in the church to which Jude is writing is a drama that's still carrying on right now today. Christians still need to contend for the faith, don't they? Because false teachers and worldly people still try to infiltrate the church. And even though right here at Providence, we're presently a church that loves the word of God and loves the gospel, we have to be reminded of what God gives us here. Because what God gives us here is a solid warning. And it's a call to fight for the one true faith. So let's get started now. We're going to look at God's judgment on dangerous deceivers. We're going to find four points from verses 5 through 16. And hopefully, these are going to help us to cling tightly to the word and the ways of God and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So point number one, if you're ready to write them down, believe God will judge. Believe God will judge. Verses 5 through 7 read, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Listen to the stories of people who have done unthinkable things. And you often hear a common thread. Why would they do something horrible? Why would they keep it up? Often the ones asked will say that once they were involved with whatever they were doing, they stopped believing anybody would find out. Anybody would catch them. Anybody would bring consequences. 
Often people get sucked into doing things they know better than doing for the simple reason that they stop believing that they'll ever be held to account. Just after calling the church to contend for the faith, Jude reminds the church that the judgment of God is coming for the ones that are doing the harm to the church. Now, before we look at the promise of judgment... I want to pause and remind us of the significant truth of the gospel. Otherwise, we might fall prey to a deadly legalism. The gospel, the good news, is that God saves sinners by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. All humanity is guilty. Before God. All who run to Jesus in faith for mercy find it. Nobody goes to heaven for being good. Nobody who has the grace of Jesus ever loses that grace. All who know Jesus are changed by God and kept by God for eternity. Guys, we've got to start off by being a gospel people. If we don't, this stuff will weigh us down. But I want you to hear it. If you don't know Jesus, you need his grace. He died and rose to save us from our sins. He will forgive you. Doesn't matter how bad you've been. Doesn't matter how bad you're being now. He'll forgive you and he'll change you for the glory of God. Now, when Jude talks here about judgment, we should not forget the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, as we see the sins of those who are facing judgment. Remember, our good works have nothing to do with our salvation. But our lives, once we are saved, will change. The lives of the saved are going to be marked by repentance by obedience, by conforming to the ways of God as written in his word. And though we will still struggle against sin until we're at home with Jesus Christ, we don't have to fail. We are able in Christ, by the Spirit's power, to honor the Lord with our lives. Now, listen to me. Some people will struggle hard Some people are going to go through seasons of darkness. But all believers will be kept by Christ, sanctified by Christ, and eventually glorified in Christ. Now, all that said, Jude is writing to warn the church about men who don't know God, but who've passed themselves off as if they're believers, trying to be teachers. They're false, they're dangerous, and they they face the wrathful judgment of God. Jude loves writing with like triads, little triplets, little threes. He gives us three Old Testament examples in verses 5 to 7 to remind believers that the judgment of God is a very real thing. And notice as we get started, who does the judging? Who did the judging even in the Old Testament? Because I don't want you to have a false picture of old versus new as if they're different. Who did the judging? Verse 5, Jude lets us know Jesus. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one who did the work accredited to God in the Old Testament. The Son of God, the Spirit of God, God the Father, the one true triune God. These persons are perfectly united in every single thing that God does. 
And first we see that Jesus judged the unbelieving Israelites that he had previously rescued from Egypt. Remember your Old Testament, right? Though God saved an entire nation from slavery in the Exodus, he pronounced a death sentence on those who refused to trust him and those who refused to follow his command. There was an entire generation of Israelites that died in the desert without ever reaching the promised land because they did not believe. Believe God will judge. Second, Jude points out that God also judged fallen angels for their sin in Genesis chapter 6. In the issue that brought about the flood, an issue that involved angelic and human sinfulness, God acted. And the rebellious angels, the demons, did not escape the fury of God. Believe God will judge. Third, Jude points to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And those people living in rebellion against God faced his wrath. When Jude says that they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued, quote, there in the Bible, unnatural desires, he's pointing out that the people had given in to the deceptiveness, the deceptive lure of sexual immorality, and not just sexual immorality in general, but that is a reference to homosexuality in particular. And God rained fire and sulfur down on the unrepentant, rebellious towns as a righteous judgment. And we must believe God will judge. All three of these accounts remind us of human rebellion against God. And again, let me say to you, I've got sympathy. I've got sympathy even for the rebel. How many of you don't have a little rebel in you? So let's not take an unloving, haughty attitude. But let's speak of this with sober acceptance of the real word of God. We see people here in those places who refuse to believe, who refuse to submit to the authority of God, who refuse to submit to the ways of God. They rebelled through immorality. And in all three of those instances in the Old Testament, the wrath of God fell Jude wants people to believe the fact that God will, in fact, judge. People don't get away with opposing God forever. So let me ask you this. Do you believe God will judge? Or do you think God's going to tolerate the evil of this world and never respond? You tell me what kind of God our God would be if he let this world go on like this without changing it. Do you believe that all things will go on forever as they are right now? Listen to me. The judgment of God is very real, very sure, and very final. Don't let yourself be lulled into this worldly thinking. We are living for more than the here and now and believe God is, in fact, as he promised, truly going to judge. But now watch. Jude's going to apply this reminder, the the warning he gave there, to the dangerous deceivers who threatened the church. Point number two... Watch out for things that earn God's judgment. Watch out for things that earn God's judgment. Verses 8, 9, and 10. 
Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, intending, or contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So 5, 6, and 7 were examples to show us that the judgment of God on the ungodly is real. Here Jude will now show us how the people that are infiltrating the church, why they're facing the judgment of God for their own particular sins. Jude says that like the people who rebelled against God and who faced God's judgment, the false teachers in the church are in deep, deep trouble. Jude first tells us that they, they do what they do, relying on their dreams. The hint here is that the false teachers, the dangerous deceivers, rely on personal experiences and personal feelings for their highest authority. Instead of relying on biblical revelation, people are misleading other people based on their experiences, their dreams, their vision, the things that they just know are true. This is as good a place as any for me to remind you guys that there is a genuine danger to people that are caught deeply up in the, the modern charismatic movement. I do not at all assume these people to be trying to mislead or deceive anybody But there's a real problem when people claim to hear new revelations from God. Perhaps they'll say that they've got dreams and visions. Perhaps they'll say that God has given them a word of knowledge or prophecy. The problem is, when people make those claims, they will eventually undermine Scripture. They will replace biblical authority with their own spiritual, emotional, personal experiences. Church, God has spoken to us in his holy, inspired word, the Bible. Once the canon of scripture was completed, the church was to rely on scripture to know the will and the ways of the Lord. Those who claim to have new words from God add to God's revelation. They claim a source of authority that is outside of what God has given to the church. Yes, we've all got the Spirit of God. And yes, God still moves in the lives and hearts of his people to lead us. But the revelatory gifts of God, new words from God, are no longer necessary. And when we let ourselves believe that others around us are are given those kind of new words from God, we put ourselves at risk of being manipulated by false teachers like the ones Jude warned against. Now, what are the false teachers puffed up by their supposed dreams doing? Jude says they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. They claim that their dreams give them the freedom to do things that Jude says defile the flesh. This is likely, again, a reference to the sexual sin that Jude's already mentioned. Verse 4, Jude says that these people pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. 
So you might imagine that these people in the first century were claiming charismatic revelation that would free them to do what we know to be sinful sexually. In the first century, many of the religious cults around the church used sexual immorality as a form of their temple worship. It's part of the scheme of the devil. The devil, he has known from the beginning that humanity would be susceptible to being led astray into destruction by our physical desires. Your body is a good thing, but man, can its desires get you into trouble. The souls of men and women can be just eaten up when we're not careful with what we let ourselves do. And it does matter. One might imagine that in that culture, weaker people in the church might be tempted to believe a person who says that they've heard from God that the church is supposed to behave like the pagans down the street. After all, isn't it always easier to be like the world than to stand on principles that are different? Isn't it easier to compromise than to be holy? Jude also says that the false teachers reject authority. Well, if one no longer is submitting to Scripture, he's rejecting the authority of God, right? There's no surprise at all that the false teachers would tell folks in the church that they, they don't need to listen to the, the commands of church leaders. They don't need to listen to the Bible. They don't need to listen to faithful leaders from the past. I mean, after all, those people are bound and tied to Scripture alone. They're not receiving these secret dreams that the false teachers claim to have. Then the last problem, blaspheming the glorious ones, is something we can't really dogmatically say what it was. Glorious ones is probably a reference to some sort of angelic being. But something that these teachers are doing speaks great dishonor on those beings. And Jude illustrates the problem by citing an extra-biblical account of the archangel Michael in a dispute with the devil over the dead body of Moses. Sadly, we have no surviving documentation of this story. Not even in, there are books that we refer to as the pseudepigrapha. Isn't that a great word? Pseudepigrapha sounds like turkey bacon. I'm not sure, but. Some of you are really going to get that later and it's going to be very funny. The pseudepigrapha is the extra biblical, non-inspired writings of the latter Old Testament period and the early New Testament era. But if you look up this story, some people say that this is a thing called the Assumption of Moses, but we really only have secondhand documentation of it. But apparently the story accounts for us a legal dispute, a legal argument between the archangel Michael and the devil over possession of the remains of Moses. Remember, Moses went up a mountain, he died on that mountain before he went into the promised land. What Jude highlights here is that in this account, Michael didn't even speak a blasphemous word against the devil himself. How much worse then that these false teachers would eagerly rail against, quote, the glorious ones. Maybe they're mocking the angelic. Maybe they're playing around with the demonic. But either way, these men foolishly use their words in ways that godly people just don't. Now, this is a moment we can just pause again. Some people are very much vexed by the fact that Jude would cite a non-canonical source. 
Oh no, does this mean that the assumption of Moses and the book of First Enoch, which he'll cite later, that those must be trustworthy inspired scripture? No, it doesn't mean that. Writers and speakers often refer to things that they know are not authoritative scripture for the purpose of making a point. Paul did so in Acts 17, 28, in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, in Titus 1, 12. And in all of those cases, Paul used familiar quotations from philosophers or poets to help people understand his point. Jude does the same thing. But nobody here is saying that the non-inspired books are supposed to be taken as always right or canonical. You know, one day, I may tell you in a sermon how we need to sacrifice ourselves to help others, just like Sam, who bent down and carried Frodo up Mount Doom. But using that illustration is not me saying that I believe that the events of the Lord of the Rings trilogy are true. It's just me using a familiar story to clarify a point. I may tell you one day, ah, remember, as Spock said, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Star Wars, right, Kelly? (laughs) Sorry, Ben. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I believe in Captain Kirk. The other night in men's Bible study, I made an illustration from the cartoon Thundercats. I don't believe it was real either. But they help, right? Verse 10, Jude makes his actual point about the teachers saying, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. The deceiving teachers don't understand angels and demons and they're blasphemous with their words. What they do understand, they understand their desires. They understand their flesh. They understand pride. They understand rejecting authority that they don't want to have to follow. And Jude says that stuff's going to bring about their destruction. As we said in the first point, God will judge. And now we've seen why these deceivers are facing his judgment. See, before we saw that God will judge, now we need to put ourselves on guard against being dragged into things that would bring God's judgment. We need to watch out for people who claim extra-biblical supernatural revelation. We need to guard against those who would permit forms of immorality that go against the faithful biblical teaching of the church for centuries. Again, we know of churches that permit all forms of sexual immorality and say, oh, we've just got to get with the times of the modern day. And man, do I feel for those who are brought into this. But faithful followers of God and the scripture have told us about what faithful living is for centuries. We need to watch out for teachers who get overly fascinated with angels and demons, beings that we know exist but whose roles and work are, quite frankly, none of our business. Be on guard against those things. Cling tight to the word so you can contend for the faith. And as we're on guard against those things, we're going to be reminded to guard against dangerous people who would mislead the church. Point number three, watch out for dangerous deceivers. 
Watch out for dangerous deceivers. It's pretty much the whole point of the whole passage here, by the way. 11 to 13. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. When Jude says of these false teachers, woe to them, he's pronouncing God's curse. Woe is the opposite of being blessed. It's a terrible thing to face. And those who undermine the scripture, who mislead believers, who pervert the gospel are facing such woe. As before, Jude uses another triplet of Old Testament examples to highlight the false teachers. They're like Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And all three of those were Old Testament people who rebelled against the authority of God. Some were prideful, some were violent, some were greedy, some were ambitious. Balaam was particularly responsible for causing issues related to sexual immorality. What he did is he encouraged a Moabite king to send his women out to seduce the men of Israel so the judgment of God would fall on them and God would quit protecting them. And all three of those men faced the judgment of God, just like the deceiving teachers in Jude's day faced the judgment of God. Jude highlights just how dangerous these deceivers are when he says that they're hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. A hidden reef is a thing just under the surface of the water that will sink a ship if the ship runs into it. The false teachers, they're sneaky. They, they, they sit undetected in the church's fellowship meals and they pretend to be believers just like the rest, but they are really dangerous rocks that will sink a weak person's faith. The dangerous deceivers are selfish. They're like shepherds who feed themselves instead of feeding the sheep. Apparently, at least some of these folks present themselves as teachers and they want personal financial gain from the church. Think about some of the modern false teachers that are on the internet. Think about some of the old school televangelists who pretend to be faithful but who are really just after your money. They feed themselves, not the flock. And Jude says of the false teachers, they're waterless clouds swept along by winds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame. They're wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. What's a waterless cloud? It looks like it would be helpful if you're a farmer, but it's not. The false teachers promise much and they deliver nothing of spiritual good. The fruitless tree looks like it should have been helpful, but it's not. Hoping to get something useful from these teachers would be like going to a barren tree that bore no fruit and had already been cut down. Totally useless. The waves of the sea make a lot of noise, but they accomplish nothing but make a mess on shore. The false teachers make a lot of noise. They expose their own shame. Wandering stars. Go back to the first century day. People navigated by starlight, 
right? Wandering stars, you might try to use them for navigation, but find yourself completely misled. Just like a person is misled by the deceivers infiltrating the church. Jude uses the sky, the land, the sea, and the stars to show that illustrated by every arena of creation, these false teachers are dangerous and unhelpful. This is why these men and their ungodliness have been destined for destruction. What's the point? Watch out, church. Those who deny scripture, those who oppose biblical authority, those who promote immorality, those who seek personal gain, they are a danger. And the church in Jude's day, they'd been infiltrated by those people and and those people were sneaky and their presence was deadly. And the church has to be on guard and we have to contend for the faith. We've got to cling so tight to the scripture that we would never let ourselves fall into it. I wish I could say to you that things like this don't still happen, but they do. There are still false teachers. There are still people that try to look like believers who claim that God tells them new things. They try to turn people away from Scripture and scriptural standards. They promote immorality. They seek their own gain. We've got to cling to Scripture so we can honor the Lord. And as we move into the close of this section, we're going to see that it closes just as it opened with a promise of judgment. Point number four, expect judgment on dangerous deceivers. Expect judgment on dangerous deceivers. 14 to 16. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Here's the second time. Jude cites another extra-biblical source in order to illustrate a point. This time, He loosely quotes the pseudepigraphical book of 1st Enoch. Now, I'll just say to you, throughout all of church history, neither the Jews nor the Christians have recognized the book of 1st Enoch as inspired scripture. But, as I said before, sometimes a writer will use something familiar to get his audience, to give his audience a picture, make a point. Illustration. In this instance, the point Jude's making is that Jesus Christ is going to come back And he's going to have the angels with him. And Jesus will judge all of those who have rebelled against him and not gotten under his grace. Four times in that citation, we read the word ungodly. It's not a word that just means somebody who struggles with sin. All of us are going to struggle against sin. And sometimes we're going to fail. That's not what we're talking about. The ungodly are those who oppose God, like the false teachers that Jude is warning us against. They're not going to get away with what they've done. Then in verse 16, Jude gives us a sort of summary of what kind of people the dangerous deceivers destined for destruction really are. First, he says that they're grumblers and malcontents. False teachers tend to, just they love to complain about things. They love to gripe. They love to to point out to folks that, oh, I've got better ideas. I've got deeper thoughts. Oh, how wrong the church has been. I know how it should be. They're like Old Testament Israel had a 
mark and a reputation for being grumblers and they face the judgment of God. Jude says that the danger was follow their own sinful desires. Multiple times so far that we've seen references to, to sinful, to fleshly desires. These false teachers chase after physical pleasures, including sexual immorality. And finally, talking about their words, he says the teachers are loud-mouthed boasters who show favoritism to gain advantage. These evil men, they talk about themselves. They boast of what they know. They boast of what they do. They say, look at me. They use their words. They use their money to butter people up if it'll gain them a platform, if it'll gain them position, if it'll gain them power, if it'll gain them, gain them an advantage. And again, we come to the end of a point and we see that there's a danger a danger to the kind of people Jude's warning against. And again, we're reminded that these people, they hurt Christians, they commit sin, they focus on self, they earn the wrath of God. And Jude wants you and me to be doubly sure the day of judgment, the final reckoning is approaching and we need to believe that God will judge and we need to watch out for things that earn God's judgment. We need to watch out for dangerous deceivers and we need to expect judgment on those dangerous deceivers. With all that said, with all that said, what are we supposed to do with a passage like this? First of all, let me remind you, we had a boatload of love of God and gospel in the first four verses. So if this one, this one hits you hard, go back and listen to that sermon, it'll help. And we've got a boatload of love of God and gospel coming in the next sermon. But when the word of God says things straight out, we say it, that way too. Fair enough? If you know Jesus, love him. Follow him in accord with his word. Treasure scripture. Beware of anybody who would turn you away from the plain, clear teaching of the word of God. Most people... Do not fail to follow Scripture because Scripture is hard to understand. Most people don't read Scripture because they don't like what it actually says. But the Word is clear and it's understandable and it is the Holy Word of God. Watch out for people who claim to have words from God that are not in Scripture. God has given us his perfect word to know him and his ways. Don't be drawn away from it for anything different. To walk away from scripture is to turn your back on God. Contend for the faith by clinging to faithful teaching. False teachers reject authority. They love to get out from under faithful teachers of the past who would restrict them, who would limit them. But we should be eager to embrace the faithful teaching of the word. Now, I will tell you again, there is no earthly authority on the level of scripture. But we contend for the faith when we uphold faithful teaching of faithful leaders of the past. Today, you want to be particularly on guard against those who embrace immorality. Jude keeps ringing that bell. I have to ring it too because the word of God does. God's word is clear when it comes to our purity, when it comes to our physical and sexual purity that God's standard has never once changed. God designed marriage to be the union of one man and one woman for life and to go against that design is deadly. 
And it doesn't really matter what category we're talking about here. We can talk about heterosexual sin. We can talk about homosexual sin. We can talk about gender issues. We can talk about whatever we want to talk about here. Any participation in sexual activity with someone who is not your spouse is is defined in Scripture is against the will of God. Single people, honor God in purity. Married people, honor God by keeping the marriage bed pure and contend for the faith as we watch out for people who would teach differently here. And if you don't know Jesus, which by the way, if you don't know Jesus, some of the stuff that we've just said today is going to be tremendously offensive. And I want you to know my heart breaks for anyone who doesn't know Jesus. And my heart breaks for anyone who hears this and says, this hurts me. But if you don't know Jesus... Here's what I want you to grab hold of. The repeated, repeated concept from Scripture. God will judge. All of us, me too, all of us have earned God's judgment. But the good news is, we don't have to face it. God has provided a way out. One way out. And that way is Jesus Christ. The Son of God said to us, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to God except through Jesus. If you want life, let go of thinking you're the one in charge. Let go of thinking you can behave well enough or bad enough to get into or out of heaven. Believe in Jesus and cry out to Him for grace. Jesus will forgive all who come to him in faith. And Jesus will change your heart so that you, like all faithful believers, will repent of sin and you will contend for the faith as you grow in the Lord. Let's bow together and pray, friends. Lord God, it is so heavy to hear, to study, things that relate to judgment. But God, I will say this. You are holy. Hallowed be your name. And that means that every single one of your ways, every single one of your standards, every single one of your commands is right. And though our natures rebel against it, we will say this. You are holy. You are Lord, you are Master, and we surrender to you. For all who don't have grace today, I pray that you will draw them to seek your mercy in Christ. For all who do have salvation today, I pray you will draw us closer and closer and closer to the word that we might be faithful. I do pray you will protect your church from those who would infiltrate it from outside with worldly ideas of getting with the times and changing and becoming something scripture doesn't teach. Protect us. Give us a faithful, faithful, sweet, gracious church to your glory. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.